Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Last month I had a really wonderful opportunity to be able to travel with a group from North Georgia to explore parts of the civil rights movement's history in Alabama. We went to Birmingham and we went to Montgomery and we went to Selma and we went to all sorts of surrounding counties and small towns to be able to see all of the little and big moments that shaped the movement for civil rights in America. And so the culminating event was us going to Selma and participating in the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on the anniversary of the the day that Martin Luther King led the first group of folks across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on the way to Montgomery. And they were met by incredible violence inflicted on them by uh, local police, local law enforcement, local um, folks. And it was a really powerful experience for a lot of reasons. First, we got out there nice and early in the morning and we had to go through all of the Secret Service checkpoints because the vice president was going to be there to speak. And um, so we went through all the checkpoints. We amassed as a part of a large group of folks prepared to march across Edmund Pettus Bridge. And uh, in order to prepare ourselves to do that, we started hearing from different speakers. And it started off amazing. There was a lot of energy, especially from uh, one of the speakers named uh, William Barber, Reverend Dr. William Barber, who's an incredible speaker. But more than that, he's an incredible and faithful man who talked about work that is still left to be done to uh, enable uh, easy, legal, safe uh, voter access for folks um, in our current modern context. It was really powerful. Um, and then we started hearing from some other speakers, some more powerful, some um, lost the thread a little bit, uh, and that's okay. I know I do that myself frequently, <laughs> but um, Anyway, we had a lot of speakers, in part because it was the first time that this march was going to take place since John Lewis died. So he had always been the leader who would walk the group of folks from D.C. and from everywhere around the country to remember this um, incredible, powerful moment of people advocating for themselves to have access to their representatives and to their voting booth. So because of that, there are folks from uh, the White House who are there, from the um, US Senate and representatives who are there, and each of them wanted to be able to speak. So we were all standing out there in the sun, which was getting higher and higher in the day, and that heat of that day was starting to actually put some folks into medical distress. And so because of the stress and frustration about, you know, not really being able to drink water because of the security clearances and not really being able to um, move or do anything because of all of the gates and fences that were around us. We felt very stuck. And so the crowd over time uh, started getting a little bit agitated. And so every time a new speaker was being introduced, you could hear an audible groan from this large crowd of people ready to walk across the bridge, ready to get to work 
uh, to continue this work that started long ago and um, we were trying to celebrate and remember and call ourselves to account about. So anyway, we had more and more speakers that came, and eventually, every time a new speaker was being introduced, the crowd would actually start to chant, let us march, let us march, let us march. So after several rounds of speakers that came after those chants initiated, those speakers finally came to an end. And you could hear the crowd collectively exhale, sighing in relief that they would finally be able to walk across the bridge and get to work. And then we waited some more. And we waited. We waited, and the crowd started to chant again to be able to march. And then finally, we started seeing some movement up at the front of the crowd. So there was some cheering, and then we realized what that movement was. And it wasn't an opportunity for us to be able to walk. It was reinforcements for some of the police line that already existed at the front. And when those uh, new law enforcement officers came in front of the crowd, they created a separation, a barrier between the crowd itself and all of the representatives who were here from Washington, D.C. And the symbol of that moment was really powerful for me. You had a group of people who had come to Selma to remember and celebrate a day that people put their lives on the line in order to have access to their representatives and to a voting booth. These people gathered in a crowd, being separated by a line of law enforcement from the people who had been elected to represent them. It was a bizarre experience. Um, and I'm sure there were reasons that additional security was needed, but suffice to say, it was distressing for the crowd. All of these representatives from D.C. marched all the way across the bridge, and then they allowed the crowd to walk over as well. I've been thinking a lot about that, in part because of just how powerful it was to be there for so many reasons, but also as I've been reflecting on Palm Sunday. You know, Palm Sunday as a kid, it was always described to me as this like joyous celebration where people were just dancing around and waving palms, and I'm sure that was true. But the joy that I see on their faces now is less of a sort of joyful homecoming as much as it is a, a sort of protest. If you grew up in the church, you may know this already, but Passover was a really important, is a really important holiday for us as people of faith, but most especially for our, the ancestors of our faith, the Hebrew people. And um, Passover is a celebration of a time when God came to a community of people who had been held as slaves in Egypt and by force freed those slaves from the oppression of an empire in Egypt under Pharaoh. 
right? So the parallels there are amazing, right? Like, what is Passover? It's a promise of release from oppression for God's people who are living under the oppressive rule of a foreign empire. What were the people experiencing in Jerusalem? The faithful people living in Jerusalem. They were living under oppressive Roman rule with the emperor at its head. So celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem came with a political weight to it that we don't necessarily know without actually looking back at the history. And because of the inherent political nature of the Passover feast, Rome would always make sure that its governor was in Jerusalem on the date of Passover. So what that means is on the eve of Passover, or as they were preparing for Passover, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the area, who was there as a representative of the emperor of Rome, who would have thought of himself as the son of a god, was sent as a delegate to make sure these faithful people didn't get any crazy ideas, like they could actually experience that freedom again. So Jesus stands on the other side of Jerusalem. As Pontius Pilate descends into Jerusalem on his war horse, being led by a massive uh, army coming into Jerusalem to help maintain the peace in the city. There may have been crowds gathering around to maybe joyfully celebrate Rome's presence or maybe scornfully celebrate Rome's presence. Anyway, that's on one side of Jerusalem. On the other side, Jesus, rather than getting on a military horse, climbs up onto a donkey and is led into Jerusalem, not by an army, but by a group of people, faithful people, who had witnessed in Jesus a miracle of feeding thousands, of raising someone from the dead, embodying all of the promises about the incoming king. And so they begin to cry out. Again, on the eve of Passover, they start to sing out words of scripture, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, save us, save us, while waving palm branches. Another symbol that you wouldn't know about unless you'd been reading it, and I certainly did not know about until I started reading it, is that palm branches wouldn't have really been used around the Passover. There was no reason to use them, but they would have been used during another high holy day, the Festival of Booths which is a celebration of God's provision in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And they would cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, as a part of that celebration, trusting that God would lead them from their captivity in Egypt into freedom, which is what Passover is, 
through the wilderness to the promised land, which is what the Festival of Booths is all about. See, within Jesus, we see the culmination of religious observance and God's divine power descending into the seat of both religious and political power of the day. This was a moment filled with such intention. It wasn't an accident that any one of these moments or symbols was used to tell this story about who Jesus was. And so Jesus descends into Jerusalem with all of this fanfare. And Caiaphas, one of the chief priests, one of the religious elders who'd been serving in Jerusalem, who was also busy trying to make himself and his temple ready to celebrate the Passover, saw it, saw Jesus. It's, there's so much irony here. He sort of understood, but yet he didn't at all. Right? Jesus has been talking about his need to die and be resurrected through most of his ministry, but uh, this high priest also says effectively the same thing. He says it, would, it is better for a single man to die than all of our nation be destroyed. See, he sees what Jesus is doing. He sees the political play that Jesus is bringing into Jerusalem. He sees the way that he's almost mocking uh, the empire as it exists in the time. And what he anticipates is that display of Jesus's to descend into Jerusalem on a donkey with all of these symbols around release from power and an experience of God's presence in the wilderness will be seen as a threat from Rome. And what Rome will do is destroy all of the Hebrew people. And he commits then to killing Jesus in order to save the nation to save his people. You see how priorities start to get aligned around things. I don't know that he was doing something bad or evil, but because of his fear, he was unable to see what Christ was actually doing or who Christ actually was. And that begins, well, it's another step along the process towards Jesus's crucifixion. And so on this Palm Sunday, we're left, I think, with a similar option of choices that we've had over the last several weeks. We've looked at key figures along the path to Jesus's crucifixion to see how we would actually respond. So I wonder if you were in Jerusalem Would you see, like a high priest, that Jesus looks too much like a threat and be okay with one person dying for the sake of a nation, even if that person may be the very embodiment of God? Would you turn instead to celebrating the emperor's delegation into the city so as to not make a fuss or draw attention to yourself.
There are days, I think, that I would be along the side of Jesus, waving a palm branch, singing Hosanna. And there are days I feel like I would say that he's just another rabble-rouser creating trouble where there's no need. Things aren't perfect, but at least it's better than it could be. I think that's an easy sentiment to carry. And the message of Palm Sunday comes with some weight to it because we go from Palm Sunday to the story of Jesus's crucifixion. We go from a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, mirroring the emperor's own triumphal entry. We go from that story directly into the passion, experience of death, all because a large enough group of people were comfortable with the way things are and unwilling to meet Jesus's challenge. So what do we do with that? How do we celebrate God's presence? Are we willing to put our well-being on the line for the sake of something bigger than ourselves? Or do we see every challenge to the status quo as a challenge to ourselves and so resist and fight and kill because of it? One of the great gifts of Jesus is that there is always, always, always opportunity to celebrate new life. We're not there yet, but Easter surely is coming. But today we have a choice of which crowd we join in with. And I pray that I regularly choose the faithful, good, righteous, and compassionate one more than I choose the one of ease and comfort so that I can see where Jesus is leading us. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.